Hey, welcome to Halfway Decent, a Halfway Decent podcast about art history. I am Mike. And I'm Sarah. And welcome to another episode. Um, I got nothing, so why don't we just get into it? All right. So, Sarah, mm-hmm. based on the fact that I am looking at a name on a screen, mm-hmm. will you tell our fellow listeners, by fellow I mean me and the rest of them, sure. who we are talking about today? Yeah, today we are going to talk about Claude Monet. I know that name. Monet. Yeah. Yeah, I thought a lot of people might know that name and be kind of familiar with the name, maybe know a piece or two, but um, thought we would kind of dive in. I will say, every time I hear Monet, I think about, uh, there's like three songs that say money, like money, money. Mm-hmm. Always think of that one. Sure. Because of, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. That, hey, that's my segue. Is that what you know about Monet? Uh, no. <laughs> what do you know about Monet? I believe there's also a painting of people next to a river, but that may be somebody else. Um. In a park on a... That's a, that's a different artist. Son of a... It's Sunday in the park. Yep. 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 Dang it. That's all right. I don't remember calling but, Monet, though. But... They're pretty similar in the same era. So, so I'm not crazy. You're not crazy. Just wrong. Just wrong. <laughs> All right. So uh, he was born in 1840 in Paris. Uh, his full given name is actually Oscar Claude Monet. Uh, in some of his early works, he actually signed it Oscar Monet. So kind of interesting i don't really know why um some people said that it was um because his father was claude monet so maybe he went by it but his i don't know i don't know but anyway is the one signed oscar monet worth more money like when you get a misprinted dollar um i mean probably they're all worth a lot of money well okay that's fair okay i want i was curious if like you're a collector and like i got one that says oscar it's this crappy one because it's from the beginning it's a mark of his earlier work but i don't know okay uh anyway so um his family his father was a grocer um and so his family was fairly well off Quick shout out to all the people who are working in grocery right now. We appreciate you. Yes. And if you're listening from the future, this is during Corona. This is the time of Corona. Yeah. Um, So when he was a teenager, he started out doing caricatures and was actually pretty talented. I didn't put any up here, but maybe we'll we'll post them when we do the Instagram. We'll um, add some caricature pictures. Um, And he was actually really popular in the town. Sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say note to Mike as you're listening to this and editing. (laughs) Look up some of those caricatures. I'll get them to you. Um, So there was a small shop that actually let him show and sell his work, his caricatures out of. Oh, So he's not like doing them of people. Like we think of caricatures at like uh, Cedar Point. Yeah. Oh, so he's doing that. I mean, I don't know that. Well... I don't know if he would be sketching them as, you know, like having someone sit and do it. Maybe. I don't know. I didn't read into the process of it. But it said that he started out um, while he was in school. He used to do caricatures of all his professors or all of his teachers in his note, in like the margins of his notebooks. That's fantastic. Yeah. So um, 
So there's this uh, local shop owner who let him sell his work out of there. And um, he met uh, Eugene Bowden, who was a local landscape artist, um, who encouraged him to explore and paint outdoors. Oh, okay. Um, So that was kind of where that started. Um, That's uh, the phrase uh, in plein air, if you have ever heard that phrase before. 100% 100% have never heard that phrase okay. before. Well, uh, basically it just means to paint outdoors, which I know like nowadays we think of like, oh, he's going to be an artist. So he's got an easel and he goes outside and pay- whatever. He's going to go paint you the know, vista. I mean like, right? Doesn't yeah. that, isn't yeah. that kind of like the cliche artist or whatever? For sure. That is when I paint, that's what I do. Right. Of course. So, but at this time, uh, it was not actually that common to paint outside. Uh, you would have had your studio or your workshop, and that's where you would have worked on your paintings. To do it outside was not a very popular. So if they're doing landscaping, they're doing from, like, memory versus sitting and looking at the Yeah, Um, memory, or, I mean, they might do a sketch, like a pencil sketch, and then Take it back and, gotcha. Um, Maybe, or it might just be... And created from your mind. Just like, I want to do percent made up vista. I mean, like yeah. Bob Ross. Yeah, sure. <laughs> happy <laughs> Let's little... do the happy little tree here, a little mountain there. Um, so anyway, uh, so in 1865, um, he was accepted to the Salon. So part this is kind of part of Monet's story. So the Salon um, was a juried art show. Uh, and it was very, very prestigious. This is where people would have gone to purchase art, um, where people would have gone to find someone to commission art to, um, where collectors were. Um, so it was prestigious and a big deal to get accepted to the salon. So you said a juried? Mm -hmm. Does that mean there are people who like judge the stuff, Mm -hmm. whether or not it can be brought into the salon right and um i i should have shown you a picture um but there it was kind of like this big tall like high ceilinged space and so if they thought your work wasn't as good they would put it higher up so it was like further away from people's eyeline um so that's kind of a little bit where the juried part came in Um, But in 1865, he actually got two seascapes accepted. There's a little bit of a side story that, uh, whatever. Uh, There's another artist. His name is Manet, M-A-N-E-T. And um, he's a little bit older than Monet. He was pretty avant-garde for the salon at the time. So he kind of struggled to get stuff accepted. And... uh, there <laughs> for this this salon people came and they were like manet we saw you had two seascapes they were beautiful and he was like seascapes what you talking about and so then he saw that it was this monet kid and he got all upset that he was like trying to ride manet's coattails <laughs> they ended up working together it was fine later but but the moral <laughs> of the story is is if you can find someone who has the last name that is similar to yours and famous. Oh, I didn't know. Just 
Yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's like back in Ohio, people would always confuse Schrock woodworking for like the Schrock cabinets. Not related at all. Well, probably we're all related somewhere. Yeah. It's fine. I mean. But uh, we, people assumed we did excellent work based on our, now, we do do excellent work. Do do. Do <laughs> But it has nothing to do with our last name. We're just great. Yeah. Well, Okay. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> so, uh, in that same uh, group, there were there were several artists um, who ended up coming together. In 1872, uh, Monet helped form the Anonymous Society of Artists, Painters, Sculptors, and Engravers, and it was kind of a push against this formal salons it was like well right um because they were kind of trying to do some new different things and uh their work wasn't being accepted so they were like rather than trying to do that we'll just do our own thing and show our own art which makes sense i mean that's how things progress is allowing people but the standard quo is not going to allow new and different right so it's either a gradual change or people bucking the system and doing their own thing right um, and so um, that's where we get our, our first piece that we're going to look at. Yeah, you can go ahead and advance that. Um, and it's called Impression Sunrise. Uh, and it's actually where the term Impressionism comes from. So uh, Impressionism as an art style is the idea that um, you will just paint something as your eye sees it not necessarily as it is um so a couple of our our listeners are privileged enough to have listened to our episode zero which will maybe one day release uh that was about van gogh so there will be there will be a couple overlap things uh that they have heard but impressionism um we talked about in that episode is like if you your eye kind of takes a picture of the moment and the way the light looks and the way the colors look um, is how you would paint it in the moment right there rather than taking it and um, going right up to it and using like a, a paint sample card to match the color exactly as it is in perfect light. Would So is he still doing things like this then in outside while it's happening or is it more of taking a snapshot with your mind and then the impression that you remember so this he actually painted from his hotel room that was on the harbor so okay but instead of finding the exact it's more of like kind of this color is versus the exact does that not make sense well i mean like this is how he saw the sunrise or the yeah the sunrise at the time so it's kind of the idea of like just capturing that moment rather than um so does that mean it's a little done a little faster so you're not worried so much about the exacts and right. more about the general impressionism yes and yeah and you can see um that the brush strokes um is very sort of choppy it's not blended smoothly so they were going to take this to an exhibition his group and right before they took it they were like, hey, Monet, uh, we need, this needs a title. What are you going to call it? Uh, and he was going to call it Sunrise, but then he realized, well, it's not really 
exactly a sunrise. It's kind of more my impression of a sunrise. Um, and so then in a, a critique, a review of the piece, um, there's a critic named Louis Leroy, and he wrote, Impression, I was certain of it. I was just telling myself that since I was impressed, there had to be some impression in it. And what freedom, what ease of workmanship, a preliminary drawing for a wallpaper pattern is more finished than this seascape. And so he uh, used impressionism as sort of a derisive term, uh, but this group embraced it and yeah. they were like, nope, now we're the impressionists. <laughs> so he kind of took it and flipped it around to be a positive thing. It sounds almost like a bad improv group name, the impressionists. Oh boy. It's not great. Ugh. But the picture is beautiful. Right. Uh, and so you can see in this piece, um, there's actually, it uses a lot of complementary colors, which again, our episode zero folks will remember. Michael, do you remember what complementary colors are? Aren't they across from each other on the color palette? On the color wheel. Color wheel. Right. Sorry. So um, it will be a primary color, which are? Primary? Yes. <laughs> There are three of them. Uh, in pigment. I have not had enough to drink to remember this. Is red one? Mm-hmm. Blue? Mm-hmm. And yellow? Yeah, you got it. Hot yeah. Diggity red, dog. yellow, blue are primary colors. And then secondary colors are made from primary colors, right? So yellow, Correct. blue, make green. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so our secondary colors are green, purple, orange. Okay. So uh, complementary colors, other than if you can't just visualize a color wheel, uh, your complementary colors are going to be the primary color and then the secondary color that the other two primary colors make. So, so it, the for red, it would be blue and yellow, which would be green. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So... Very exactly. <laughs> this color, this painting uses uh, kind of this reddish and greenish. I mean, yep. we're kind of working on a spectrum. A spectrum. Sure. Uh, and it uses it to great effect because your eye is automatically drawn to that sun, right? It yes. looks so bright. But that's actually just the effect of using complementary colors. If you go to the next slide, Mike that is it all desaturated so wow. you can tell it has the same tonal brilliance yeah it's just that the complementary colors make it pop out that much yeah it's um i mean if looking at this one that first boat if you're looking at it on our instagram feed halfway dozen on instagram and twitter but twitter's whatever um the boat down, that first boat in the very front, it looks like the primary object. Mm -hmm. But when you add the color, because of the complementary colors, it immediately draws your eye to that sun, which is like the thing that stands out. Right. And um, you'll see, which is, this is going to be a theme throughout uh, our conversation today, um, that Monet was really uh, trying to capture the reflection in the water and that that was kind of more important to him than 
the objects around. So like the boats are very like a few brush strokes each, like especially the ones in the background. I don't know if you can tell yeah. that those are supposed to be boats, but you know, like it's very rushed looking. It's very kind of slapdash. You and I have very different um, definitions of rushed because I look at this and I'm like, <laughs> I'm sh- no, I don't mean that it like took him a second. I know. I just mean in the execution, that's sure. the way it looks. But you're like a quick couple brush strokes and there's a boat. If I do a qu- quick couple <laughs> brush strokes, it looks like a, what are those? Um, not, I almost had a Turing test. That's not the word I'm looking for. Rorschach. 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 That's the yeah. one. Rorschach yeah. test. Yes. Well, uh, in fairness, you're not a painter. Uh, I thought you were going to say, in fairness, you're not good. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I almost said you're not an artist, but. What I really meant was you're not a painter. You're an artist in other ways. Mm, Podcast editing. Oh, yeah. All kinds of things. I work my magic with my fingers on the computer <laughs> like a knife. Okay. So uh, we'll move from there to this next one, um, which is a French word that I don't exactly know how to say. It's something like the glenula sure there's like 12 letters and only six of them are pronounced hey in our defense uh we're uneducated americans no that's not true that's rude we but we neither of us have taken a bachelor's degree so that's why we're doing this (laughs) uh but neither of us have taken french yeah that's the main problem is that a lot of these names are french and i only took spanish which so. is fine. a complimentary color. It's not. What? It's fine. <laughs> so what that, whatever that word is, translates to is the frog pond. Okay. So um, that was actually kind of a double entendre because ladies who were described in, <laughs> in one description I read as not exactly prostitutes maybe just really eager oh my um were apparently referred to as frogs so it was like it's a frog pond but also it's a wink wink frog pond (laughs) i would be offended if i found out that i was one of the people especially the ones swimming there in the back you know i don't know i don't think i would like monet very much i mean well yeah (laughs) so once again uh you can see that there's great detail paid to the reflection in the water yeah um that the detail of the people is pretty simplistic um again just a couple brush strokes per person and so he was uh friends with renoir and we'll uh if you hit the next slide. Um, so this, Renoir did almost an identical. Uh, Perspective? Yes, thank you. Uh, from almost the exact same spot. Um, but you can see that they had sort of slightly different takes on it. I was listening to a lecture about this painting. And um, they said, you know, Renoir just, he just, he can't, uh, couldn't, uh pass up a good a good dress a good fabric yeah 
<laughs> which you can tell there's much more detail paid to the dresses and the fabric and the people than in Monet's. And what I see is so striking between the two. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're both beautiful in their own right, but mm -hmm. Monet's, like you said, the people are just almost secondary. Right. And the reflection is almost realistic. Yeah. Especially compared to the rest of the painting. Yeah. The rest of the painting is beautiful, but it is not realistic, whereas the the reflection is almost a picture. It's crazy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he was definitely driven more by the color than by the form, <laughs> uh, you could say. Um, and uh, it's in just kind of interesting that he applies the same short dabs of color for people as he does to the boats, to the trees, to... You know, they're no more uh, a part of it than just the trees in the background. Yep. So we will move on um, to his, one of his most famous series, uh, The Haystacks. Did we see some of his, one of these in New York? Mm -hmm. I can't remember if it was at the Met or I think it was at Probably the Met. Probably both. It may honestly. have been both. These were painted from the summer of 1890 to the spring of 1891. So, like, nine months-ish. Really liked haystacks. Well, we'll get to that. Okay. I was going to say, to be fair, I also like haystacks, but the food. The cookie. Yeah. yeah. Not the... Yeah. I mean, these are great. Great. Don't get me wrong. Don't taste as good as those cookies. Well... The cookies can't get millions of dollars a, a piece. Fair. <laughs> so um, this series, uh, these are haystacks in his neighbor's field. And the idea behind it was that he wanted to capture the light in all different times of day, in all different kinds of weather, in all different seasons. He did do that. So, like you said, he liked haystacks. Well, not really, but um, I read somewhere that they said that the subject had to be something as boring as haystacks because the subject of the paintings isn't actually the haystacks. It's the light and how the light affects, <laughs> you know, how, yeah. how the light changes well, across look... these different light yeah. sources and as you look at the like you you say that when you first look at these you're like oh it's it's a haystack but then as you see them all together you start to understand the significance of the light it's cool yeah and they all i mean they all have different names um to indicate what type of light it was and what time of day um i read that he would start very very early in the morning um so as to not miss the light of the dawn um, and that he would sometimes work on 10 to 12 canvases in a day, just moving as the light moved um, or as the weather changed. You he would, would just move to a different canvas. Or sometimes he said, um, it said that if there was a particularly uh, interesting sunset or sunrise, that it would warrant its own canvas. <laughs> and so he would like do a whole separate one just for this like very unique situation. What would be unfortunate 
is a pop-up storm in the middle of painting and you have 12 canvases to try to get under something before the rain hits them yeah that would be <laughs> which is probably why um i guess there's there, there's more than six we have six on our screen here but yeah there's um i couldn't get i mean they're probably somewhere is a good number i read anywhere from 25 to 30 so somewhere in that range dang yeah that's a lot of hay yeah um, and they were actually really successful. 15 of them. So he, it, it was summer to uh, 1890 to spring of 91. And 15 were exhibited in May of 91 oh. and sold within days. Dang. And he actually, he sold most of them very quickly. And the price went rose steeply as as he went and as a result he was able to buy a house and grounds to begin constructing his water lily pond which is going to be the last series that we talk about here so this was probably if you know monet just off the top of your head you know his water lily series unless you are un educated swine such as myself and then you just know his name and had no idea that that's fine uh but you know people the a lot of people associate yeah. water lilies with monet that makes sense. is what i'm saying and that is because he worked on this series from 1897 to 1926 uh and there are over 250 canvases including 40 large-scale panels on one subject on one subject so what he did was like i said he was able to uh, buy this property um, and he created these ponds planted the lilies planted the trees constructed a bridge there were like a couple different ponds so he constructed this japanese style bridge over the or to connect the two um and basically constructed his paintings and planted his paintings as he as he went so he had a vision for this before he even started to paint he kind of already had these paintings in his head yeah that's crazy yeah and um you can see uh these i've put here for you mike we can well put some of these we'll figure out a way to get something similar to what we have up here um but it's kind of similar i mean he he would just like kind of work on the same theme um he painted this bridge in 17 different canvases um and you can see that he well in in bridge pictures again it's about the light and the different times of year and that kind of thing but he kind of begins to move away from even showing land um, and really only showing the water and the lilies and anything that's in the water. And the trees and the sky are only shown through the reflection. And there's not even like a horizon line in them because it's just of the water. The only reason you have any kind of reference for the trees and the sky is because they're reflected in the water. So he was fairly prolific at in his time for sure 
And I know we only have a smattering of his work because being that prolific, I'm sure he has lots and lots of work out there. But it seems like almost all of his work, at least the ones we were working looking at, and maybe it's just the theme you kind of went with, is the water and the reflection of the water. Did he have like a bad experience with water as a kid? Some kind of like trauma? I don't think it was that so much as uh, impressionism. He was he's basically considered the father of impressionism. And impressionism is very much concerned with sunlight and nature and how the sunlight looks in nature. So I think it was just kind of his personal preference to do water and it's reflection i don't know if that was just an interesting artistic choice um i don't know i mean i don't know if he almost drowned as a kid or anything like that so say, that's that is a great historical answer right but i think he had trauma as a kid okay well maybe don't write his story for him i'm just saying it's unwritten <laughs> And I'm filling in some of the... This is a theory that I have come up with knowing his life for 20 minutes. Look, all I'm saying is I may or may not be writing a small book titled The Untold Story of Monet's Childhood. Sure, sure. Um, so just, just some more interesting things about these um a lot of the water lilies actually were imported from egypt and south america and the local authorities were not okay with it and did not want him to plant them and wanted them to take them out before they could poison the area's water but he just didn't (laughs) he just did what he wanted (laughs) this is why we can't have nice things people well and also um I don't have it in my notes, but he was friends with, um, I don't know if it was like the governor, something like that. Someone in, in the government he was like friends with and would do commissions for. So I don't know if that helped or not. Um, but he, his studio, um, was actually in the garden, uh, with glass walls. So, and he had this special, uh, easel built that had wheels so he could roll it around and get whatever angle he wanted and paint even if it was not so pleasant outside so another part of my book that i'm writing about monet's untold story mm-hmm. is um the reason he did that is because of the pop-up storms in the hayfield <laughs> he learned his lesson uh, needed a covering well um so his his stepdaughter uh, would help him and it said that she was sometimes bringing him wheelbarrows full of canvases <laughs> dude yeah so um he actually worked on this series until his death so he was an old guy while he was painting these and One thing that makes this series kind of interesting is that, at least for part of it, he was actually suffering from cataracts. And so that affected the way he painted because it affects the way he sees, and that's how impressionists work. Um, I actually read that um, at one point he was actually having to read the name on the paint bottle to know what color he was using. And so we'll, I'm sure we'll put this up there, but 
in that bookmark it shows on the left is like without the cataracts and on the right is with and you can just see the brush strokes are much thicker and more frenzied and overall just darker and part of that is because he couldn't really see what he was doing not interesting at least we're ending it on a high note interesting yes also like tragic and you feel the pain not pain but like there's got to be some sorrow and loss in... but he was i mean but he was able to have surgery to remove oh, okay. them so i mean it it was for a time um but he it sounded like he was a pretty cantankerous old man and uh, he was swearing at the doctor for <laughs> doing the surgery and it, it was a whole thing I don't know anyone like that. The, I mean, the nice, the good thing, I guess, about Monet's story um, is that he was very successful in his time. It doesn't Um, sound like... Even though he was kind of doing this avant-garde, impressionist thing, I don't know if it was just the fact that he was doing nature and generally people kind of, I mean, it's like why Bob Ross paintings work because people are like, oh, that is... That is a happy tree, you know. Well, and it sounds like, I mean, I know we didn't really look at his his history or his life a whole, whole lot, but it sounds like, unlike other artists we've talked about, um, outside of the almost drowning as a child, (laughs) that he had a relatively (laughs) good life. No, like, major tragedies or... Well... Oh, boy. <laughs> and, well, you know, guys, it's been good. Uh, thanks for joining us I again mean, here. We did on... have a wife who died of cancer, and he painted her on her deathbed. But we didn't cover that, Michael. <laughs> That's a true story. <laughs> but I wasn't going to share that one because it was too sad. Well. <laughs> but we do have... Uh, one more, uh, there's one more slide, Michael, on your, Thank um, goodness. So Holy he, moly. like I said, that included 40 large scale panels. Um, and so there is a museum. I don't, I couldn't pronounce it even if, uh, in if France, I, in France, we'll just say it's in France. Mm-hmm. Um, and they actually have two full rooms that are circular so that when you step into it, it's you're totally immersed these panels go basically all the way around um and it's as if you're standing in the middle of a lily pond i was gonna say it's it's like you're standing in the middle of a glass studio in the middle of a pond exactly looking around exactly yeah and um something just kind of interesting to note about this is that starting out a lot of his paintings um while they still had the same uh, treatment of light. I mean, that kind of was throughout his life. And of course, I kind of selected ones that that were good examples of Impressionism, just so that we could cover that topic. Um, but that particular part was something that kind of flowed through. Where it's different is that um, in his kind of previous paintings, even the ones that we talked about previously, the subject was kind of far away you know the boats in that sunrise the people on the 
the frog pond, you know, they're kind of secondary, whatever, to the light. Whereas in these, the lilies are right up in your face. You yeah. are in that pond, and it is, like, totally immersive. That is impressive. Yeah. yeah. I've actually gotten to see um, at one point, uh, I don't know which, there's a few of these sets um, of these room size panels um but there was a traveling show that went through columbus when i lived there and got to see it and it just i mean you can't it's yeah. amazing it's don't amazing. have words yes absolutely amazing wow well the good news is sarah is that <laughs> you have put the bar for figuring out how i can post this stuff on instagram at a new level so That'll be interesting, but it is beautiful. And hopefully uh, you guys, you guys, you people. Y'all. Y'all you'll listeners. <laughs> y'all um, listeners. Well, do some you googleizing yourselves and find some of these beautiful paintings and see mm -hmm. some of these that, I mean, pictures aren't going to do them justice, but Instagram is going to do them even less justice. So Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, Little go do square. some do go put in monet in the googles and see what happens yeah no oh, and i mean cool. he had you know that's a whole book mike uh of his paintings that we didn't cover um so you know we might circle back and cover something again but and if you're just in the wanted green... to kind of give people a, an overview of an artist yeah. again like i was trying to um at one point i was trying to figure out what paintings um, were the ones that were first uh, admitted to the salon. So I like stupidly put in Google Monet Salon and it was all these hair salons that were called Monet Salon. That's not what we're and I'm like, for. oh, of course, because you're an artist. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. So I had to be a little more specific in my Googling. But, sure, sure. Um, so, you know, he's, he's another one of those artists that, it, you know, the name is probably familiar to most people where yeah. the art isn't necessarily so yeah. yeah and if you live in the greenville area um you can check out our book from us for a small fee <laughs> we'll minimal handling sanitize fee. the outside of it etc right. maybe in a, like a year you can borrow our book if you're still listening to this it's long enough you may still be listening to it oh yeah does that mean we should? I have no idea where we're at, up. but we should. We are. I think we're pretty much done. Right. So, I'd like to say thank you all for listening. Yes, absolutely. Um, appreciate the tens of people who continue to listen and download this goofy butt podcast that we make. Yep. Because we like talking to each other about art. Yes. Thank you to my girl, my whiskey and me. Yes. Who does our intro and outro music? Absolutely. Thank them. Uh, check them. They've been doing some cool stuff online. Yeah. Um, they did a yard concert this week which is pretty cool yeah. and they've done several facebook live instagram live uh just playing music which is pretty cool yeah and if you can find a way to support them uh i'd be grateful and i'm sure they'd be grateful mm -hmm. actually i think they would be grateful i'd probably be grateful <laughs> we'd it's be grateful the secondary yep yep. Yep, yep, yep yep they do have a child <laughs> we don't feed that child uh yeah so go online find some art Yes, Find there some. are. I think we mentioned this previously, but there are several galleries. Um, at some point, we will get an actual formal list of the ones 
um, the museums and things that are doing um, online tours that you can do, like an, a virtual tour of the museum. Um, so I would encourage anyone who has some extra time and is interested in any of the things that we've talked about. I mean, we say that, but also we struggle to record one podcast like a month. So maybe Google it. You probably might find it before we actually post something. That's fair. Maybe, maybe, maybe we'll be proactive this time. I'll get on the Instagram. It'll be fine. We'll get okay. it. We'll get it. Sarah. We'll be there. Sarah will figure it out. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> thanks again. Enjoy your week. Um, month what however long it's going to be till you hear from us again it's fine um wash your hands that yes. is relevant no matter what time you're listening to this in the future <laughs> always, always wash, wash your hands. hands uh hey we didn't even plan it that worked out high fives i wasn't gonna it's fine uh <laughs> and uh stay at home if you need to um stay safe out there and remember it's just our Artistic farts? We've gone off the rails now. (laughs) This is all staying in. (laughs)